Amen. I, uh, I trust you're having a, a wonderful day, this, this beautiful, balmy February morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I, uh, I just want to jump right in. I just want to let you know that, um, God willing, that in the next few times that I preach, I want to start kind of like a little series where we'll send, spend several weeks talking about the life where we are overcomers and what we overcome in our lives and how we overcome in certain aspects. And the list is can be so long, and yet it can be summarized in just several points. But we'll look at things today like overcoming disappointments, and along with disappointments come discouragements, right? We're going to look at uh, things like coming over um, distractions in our lives. We're going to look at overcoming the devil. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to look at overcoming death, right? How do you overcome death? We're going to talk about that and how that has been accomplished for us. We're looking forward to that already. We, can, we know the answer, but there's a lot that's there. And then we'll look at some other, a couple other points as well that will help us, hopefully, to realize who we are in Christ and that we start walking victoriously and not like we're always moping around or that we're defeated or that we're victims or that that's got to go. It's got to go out the window, right? We're more than conquerors in Christ, and we, we're overcomers. Amen? We really are. So it's not, a, it's not necessarily a, a pep series, but there, it is, sort of, right, to remind us. And the Holy Spirit, the Word of God does that. It reminds us in those moments when we need it most that uh, we overcome. And it's all because of Jesus. Amen. Welcome back, Hunter. <laughs> Praise the Lord. This morning we're in Ezra chapter 3. And you can actually turn on your Bibles if you'd like, and I encourage you to. But in Ezra uh, chapter 3, it's really the whole book of Ezra. And Nehemiah as well. And just as a little note, in the Old Testament here, you will find in these two books, um, as the books of history wind down with Kings, Chronicles, and and Samuel, and you read all those before, and Judges before that, you read all those books and you get to Ezra and Nehemiah. And Ezra and Nehemiah, those two books, actually cover the, 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 the latter part, the end part of Old Testament history or Scripture. Uh, before the silent years, as we call them, where for 400 years there was not much said, if you will, or spoken by God through prophets until, of course, Jesus and John the Baptist came, all right, in the New Testament. And so I want you to keep that in mind. So even though it's, it's before Job, right, the, in our canon, in the scriptures, it actually summarizes and talks about the latter events of Israel's history in the Old Testament. Okay, after the exile and, the, and their captivity. So it's, it's 537 B.C., right? A long time ago that this happened, before, before Jesus was born, 537 years. And when we're talking about overcoming disappointment or disappointments in your life, let me just start by saying this. I should get a chair, but my name is Bob Geruda. I'm 51 years old. I live in Rhode Island, and I have had, and I have, many disappointments in my life. Thank you. We'll get together, just me and you, later. Everybody else can go home, because they're great. Hallelujah. It's Jerusalem. And this is the setting, right? This is the setting. And, and the Jews have just returned from a long, long captivity and Babylon, and some have been gone from their homeland for 70 years. Others have been gone for 50, some less. They were sent into captivity as part of God's judgment on generations of disobedience. 
Disobedience never leads to, to anything good when it's disobedience to God. And now, at last, Ezra is recording here the first wave of Jews that are returning to their land, to Jerusalem here. But everything is changed. Everything is completely different. Nothing is as they ever envisioned it or remembered it or thought it would be like. The countryside is in the hand of their enemies, right? And the city of Jerusalem is in complete ruins. Walls are torn down, buildings are looted, and worst of all, 500 years before that, if you read about Solomon's temple when he built that, it was the grandeur of this building, this place of worship, and in in honor and reverence to God at his instruction and by his design. And it's built there, and it's it's not anymore. It's gone. It's completely leveled. There's nothing left at all. And there's two words that come to mind when they come back home after being in captivity for 70 years. Disappointment and daunting. We've got to rebuild. We've got to rebuild our lives. This is our home, but it's disappointing. And it's so overwhelming along with that. And these two words come to mind, of course. And however, here's the thing. In Ezra, they go to work with vigor and determination right away. And in chapter 3, you'll notice that first, they rebuild the altar. I'm not going to read the text. I want you to follow along. That's why I ask you to have your Bibles open or your app open, please. And secondly, after the first six verses, when they rebuild the altar, they relay the foundation of the temple in verses 7 to 9. Then, after they do that, they pause. And when they pause, they have this huge public praise celebration. And you'll find that in verses 10 and 11. And in the midst of cheering and all the singing that's going on, after they've come home, they built the altar, they, they lay the foundation, and they praise God, something happens. It's a strange thing that happens. It says, Many of the older priests, in verse 12, and Levites, and family heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. It's a mixture of weeping, of rejoicing, of celebrating, of disappointment, all these emotions all tied in together as they're praising God and the sounds of joy mixed with the sounds of mixing. You couldn't, I mean, weeping, you couldn't separate them. It's strange to hear that noise. Right next to you, somebody is weeping tears and, and, and you're like rejoicing and jumping up and down. And it's all throughout God's people as they're celebrating. It all makes sense, though. That's the thing. This all makes sense. The temple, again, as I mentioned, was destroyed in 586 B.C. And 50 years later, the Jews returned from captivity and they rebuild it. The older folks who remember Solomon's temple were at least 65 years old. Meanwhile, two whole generations had been born in Babylon, if not maybe a little more. Those young people had no memory of the glories of Solomon's temple. None of it. Having grown up in a pagan Babylon, they cheered 
And they were so ramped up with this new temple that was being built. They weren't worried about the size or how ornate it was or what was the bells and whistle and, and, uh, that were all on it, whatever, the curtains. They, they just wanted, they, they were so excited about this new structure. But to the old folks, it was like a shack, right? It was like a shack, the Bible really records, compared to the Breakers Mansion in Newport. You've been there before? That's what you can compare it to. A little shack compared to the mansion in Newport, the Breakers. That's what it was like. And how pitifully small it must have seemed to them when they compared it to what they had once known. And they wept about it. Their disappointment was so great that they cried over it while everybody else around them was rejoicing. Strange. We'll touch on that a little bit later. Listen, here's the truth. Everyone knows disappointment sooner or later. Friends break their word. Marriages end in divorce. Our children move away and they never call us. I'm not there yet. Don't ever do that. (laughs) Colleagues betray us. The company lays us off. Doctors can't cure us. Our investments disappear. Our dreams are shattered. Our best laid plans, they just disappear and go astray. Other Christians disappoint us. And very often, probably more than you'll ever admit, we disappoint ourselves. We live in a world of disappointment. That's the truth. And if we don't come to grips with this truth, We are doomed to be unhappier tomorrow than we are today. Here's the thing, if we put it simply. We are disappointed when things don't go the way we thought they were going to go. Wrong expectations lead to disappointment. And no, you don't have all the right expectations. So you've been disappointed. And disappointment, if we're not careful, may lead or can lead to despair. Why were the older people, that generation, in our text, in Ezra, when they returned from captivity for the the, the just God who punished them and, and said that He would so much through the prophets because of their disobedience, why were they disappointed? Why? Because they remembered how good things used to be. And because they were living in the past with all its glory, they could not deal with the present reality. If we are ever going to overcome that sort of disappointment in our lives, there's three things that are necessary that we find that God's people did that will help us overcome disappointment every single time in our lives. We have to do what the Jews did in Ezra 3. So first, notice that we must renew our dedication. You know how I know we have to do this? Because they rebuilt the altar. We have to rebuild the altar in our lives. 
My heart is the altar. I mean, really, ultimately, if, if we're talking now, looking a couple of thousand, three thousand years almost past this event, our hearts are the altar. That's where the altar is. That's the place of consecration. And the altar speaks of a place of consecration and worship. And it's also a place of covenant. We break the covenant, don't we? God doesn't. And then there's disappointment. I think God feels disappointed. He knows. He loves us. We're His people. But we break that. He does it. And He's waiting. And He wants us to rebuild, to renew. And how many times did God's people in their history renew their covenant with God? And more often than not, from Moses to Noah to many others, they built altars. They were made out of whatever, wherever they were, as a milestone, as a marker, that they consecrated themselves and they were able to dedicate their lives afresh and anew and renew that covenant. Yes, we are yours. God, forgive us. We're yours again. We need to do that often. Maybe every day. And they could offer sacrifices here and they wanted to. They haven't been able to do this for a long time. Verse 1 in chapter 3 notes... Right? It notes that all the people, it says, as one man, as one man, they were united in one purpose, that what happened was they assembled in Jerusalem, and the two key leaders know what to do, that God called and raised up. Jeshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel, right? The man who led the exiles back from Babylon. And he's also named in the prophet Haggai, Haggai when they're rebuilding the temple as well. And he talks to the people and says, you need to make this a priority, Don't make everything else a priority in your life. Rebuild the temple. They led the people in reconstructing this altar of God. When it was finished, they began to offer the morning and the evening sacrifices as God had mandated in the book of Leviticus. They made offerings for the Feast of Tabernacles and presented many other offerings and sacrifices you can read about in verses 4-6 through in chapter 3. They're listed there. And they renewed their, their, their enthusiasm and their passion, their commitment to hold true to these feasts. Now, interestingly, these feasts were laid out, and they were feasts of the temple of the Lord, and yet the temple isn't there. But they started without the temple even being built yet. The altar was built, and they make sacrifices and bring offerings. They built the altar before rebuilding the temple. Why? Because worship to God and of God must always come first. No matter what you do. Out of the rubble of their past disobedience, they made sure that they were right with God. In a sense, by making sacrifice first, they were saying, Lord, we want to get right with you. The altar was the symbolic center of Old Testament religion, as you know, most of you know. It was the place where they brought their lambs and their goats and bulls to be offered to the Lord. We've heard sermons. We've done studies. You've listened. You've heard. You've been on your own. You understand that. They killed the animal. They poured out its blood and they burned the flesh before the Lord. And without the altar in the Old Testament, there could be no proper worship. No assurance of divine protection, actually, in many ways. No guarantee of forgiveness, no access to God, and no lifting of the burden of guilt and failure. The altar was the link between God and man. 
And during all the years in Babylon, the people had no altar. And thus they had no clear access to God and no assurance of forgiveness. Their disobedience had taken that altar away and they had a broken fellowship with God. They were still His. He was keeping up His end of the bargain, the covenant, if you will. He was there. And they were going through it, if you will. And God was purifying and perfecting them so He could bring them back to be His people and rebuild this altar. Here's the truth. There are times when we all need a new beginning with God. Even if you've been a Christian for 80 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, I don't care if you're Methuselah and 100 something years, you still need to renew your relationship with God. You need that new beginning. Sometimes we need a new beginning because of our own sin. Sometimes the circumstances of life. Because of the circumstances of life, we are so defeated, and we've, they've defeated us so much that we just need a fresh start. Sometimes we feel that hope is gone forever. And in those moments, we have to do what the Jews did in our text. We must return to the altar of sacrifice and build that altar all over again. And for Christians, what that means, let's fast forward just to jump, because I'm talking to you if you're a believer this morning. That means we return to the cross of Jesus Christ where His blood was shed for our sins. And not just for the unsaved, right? We, We know as Christians. But for us too, I'm reminding you that we need to go back there. We all need the healing that comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. Run to the cross. Run if you've been disappointed by sin or the sin of others in your life. Run to that cross. And when you do, you can say what the prophet Micah said in chapter 7 and verse 18. Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of His inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. To overcome disappointment, start by renewing your dedication to the Lord. Build a new altar of sacrifice and commitment today, right now. Don't wait. That's where you start when you're disappointed. Secondly, restore your obedience. Now it's tied into the altar. But you restore your obedience. And this is where, if I could say another way, relay your foundation, your spiritual foundation. Because when you're disobedient, everything gets down to the foundation and your foundation starts to crack when you're not walking in obedience to God the Father and His Word. And you need to relay that foundation. And having rebuilt that altar and they reestablished their relationship with God, the Jews proceeded to relay the foundation of this temple. This involved, think about it, a massive cleanup effort. Huge. Remember when they came back, they found Jerusalem, this city, was basically turned into rubble. It was nothing. There was nothing there. Weeds and trees growing where they shouldn't and all kinds of things happening. And it reminds me of a a, a very sad picture, if I could put it this way, although it's not the same, but it, it just shows what happens when it's abandoned and left for nothing. My old college campus, Zion Bible College, North Point Bible College, that, that campus they moved years ago, but 
If you look on social media and between the town of Barrington and, and that Bible college, that place has been abandoned and left. And there are literally trees growing out from the first floor of the dorm that I once stayed in out through a second floor window. Can you imagine what Jerusalem was like after it was ravaged and just raised and destroyed? Everything was burned. And they, the Babylonians, they took all the gold. They took, all, they took everything out of there. It was a mess. Reminds me of the house we bought, too. That's a whole other story of the, what it looked like. And we had to, oh my goodness, clean up that mess. Piles of rocks, smashed bits of woods, bushes growing up amid all that debris. And when they first saw it, there was nothing even remotely what looked like that temple. Nothing. Literally nothing. Everything was destroyed. And then, verses 7 to 8 says that donations were given, materials were delivered, even down the Mediterranean Sea on the coast, and the work began. They started to work. The altar was built. Then, then they got all the donations. They got the materials delivered and the work begins on the foundation. Notice two facts, really important. First, they committed themselves to follow the Lord in the details of life. Verse 2 and 4, if you go back, emphasize that when they rebuilt the altar, they did it, quote unquote, according to the law. When you do it your way, when you rebuild your foundation according to somebody else's ways and their thoughts and their ideas, and not according to the law, the Word of God, the Lord's instructions, you're going to have a shaky foundation. You're going to have an incomplete foundation. You're going to have a weak foundation. And they followed the details of what God told Moses to do. That's significant. Why is this significant? Because when we think about time frame, I thought we were getting a history lesson, but we should know some Bible history, amen? It's important. Almost a thousand years had passed since God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai up to this point. Think about that. All kinds of water had passed under the bridge, if you could say it that way, in their history, right? I mean, empires had come and gone, Israel itself had gone through the conquest and they're living in Canaan and had living life large until they disobeyed God and didn't follow His Word. Then there's the period of the Judges. It's my favorite book and my least favorite book. And the reign of the three great kings, right? Saul, David, and Solomon. Thank you. We do know some history. Right? Saul, David, and Solomon. And then... Then there's that bizarre period of a divided kingdom. And finally, there's that humiliation of total defeat and exile in Babylon for 70 years. Think about that. And now it's time to start all over. We have such a rich history. We're God's people. We're the covenant people. And now they're back and there is nothing. What do we do? Where do we start? The altar is laid. What do you do then? Let me tell you. You go back to the basics. Back to the drawing board. You go back and read the instruction manual so you don't make the same mistakes all over again. And so that's what they did in Ezra chapter 3. Go back and do things according 
to the law. Secondly, they relayed the foundation. This is an important point, and I'm going to touch on this again in a couple weeks. But they relayed the foundation in spite of the enemies all around them. If you read in later chapters in Ezra, you will find, and, and maybe you can scan or maybe you can read sometime today or this week, as the story unfolds in the chapters that follow, chapter 3, those enemies will do everything they can to discourage them from building this temple. The foundation, in fact. They harass them. They oppose them. They stop them altogether, actually. And in fact, the truth is, historically, that the enemies actually succeed for a time. But that's important too. It's only for a time. It takes courage to stand against a hostile world as a child of God. In spite of all the rubble and in spite of all that opposition that they felt from their enemies, and in spite of all that had happened in the past with their own sins and disobedience, the people of God, after the altar was built, they banded together and they got to work. Little by little, day by day, week by week, they worked to clean out a half century of neglect. When you are disappointed and you don't know what to do, do what you know is right. I don't know what to do. Do what you know is right. Don't let your discouragement as a result of your disappointment keep you from doing what you know you have to do. If you can't take 10 steps into the future because you're so disappointed, then take one or two. Or just take a half a step in front of you. Better to do a little than to sit around dreaming about doing a lot. And after renewing your dedication and restoring your obedience to the Lord, you will overcome disappointments lastly and thirdly by refreshing your priority. You've got to refresh your priority. You know what? You did everything according to the law to make sure that foundation is right. But before you did that, you made an altar. You consecrated yourself to God. You, you renewed your covenant and you said, I'm yours, Lord. And then you start working. And He inspires you and He leads you and He illuminates your mind and He opens your eyes to the instruction manual and you start doing it according to His Word and not your ways or somebody else's word uh, ways on how to rebuild the kingdom or rebuild your life in the kingdom of God. You go to the Word of God. And then you refresh your priority. It's a natural outcome of the first two. It goes hand in hand. Verses 10 to 11 says this in chapter 3. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, and we sang about it today, He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. I could just picture, I don't even know how amazing that was. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord. 
because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. I don't have this in my notes. That could be trouble. But I, 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 I actually have to admit that I have a disappointment and discouragement sometimes in my own life. And I'm not here to, you know, yell at you and whatever, but just it's a disappointment and a discouragement how, how sometimes New Hope Chapel or the Church of God in general doesn't know how to do what God's people did all along in the Old Testament. They were loud. They were raucous. And I'm not asking for that every week. That's not, that's, that's, that's not what I'm asking for. That's what God deserves. That's a natural outcome that God wants. And yet we can come together or we can be in other places. And, and, and we're just, when we think about how good God is and how He rebuilt our lives and gave us new life and forgives us our sins and restores our foundation, we're just so like, it's all good. I'm good. Glad I'm here. I see sister so-and-so. I see brother so-and-so. It's all right. Feels good. We don't see that. That isn't the historical record of God's people. Are there moments where they are somber and in their repentance they are nothing but silent and lay down before God? Absolutely. Absolutely, that's recorded as well. But man, just equally as much, they are raucous because God is theirs and they are God's and nothing's going to change that. It's a covenant and God's love and His mercy is renewed every day and even the prophet can say that because it's true. They gave this great praise to the Lord. Listen, if you're going to refresh your priority, it comes down to this. You have to resolve to praise the Lord. That's what it means in refreshing your priority. Resolve to praise the Lord. Like all the time, every day. It doesn't matter about the volume, but it should be so overflowing in your life that it is not only maybe not heard, but it is felt by those around you. And they will. Oh, they will. Once the foundation was laid, the people and their leaders stopped and they gave thanks to God. This is united public praise. It's intense. It's emotional. Yes, I said it's emotional. It's emotional. It's spiritual. It's God-centered. And when they sang, they declared, He is good. Not we are good. They didn't even say, we did this with God's help. Even though that would have been true, they openly gave God all the credit. And I guess guess I'm struck by the fact that they did not wait until the building was done to praise the Lord. Even though laying the foundation was significant, There was a mountain of work left to do. In fact, it took years and years, many years before that temple was completed historically, if you read the accounts. Like many years. This was only the first step, but they stopped anyway and they gave thanks to the Lord. And what a lesson this is for all of us. In the midst of the devastation of Jerusalem, with only the foundation of the temple relayed, with rubble and every hand that's getting moved by the people of God, after returning to find their homeland controlled by their enemies, still the people said with one voice, God is good. 
That's true faith. Anyone can praise God when everything is great. It's something else to praise God when things are far from perfect. You know, it's a great thing to be able to look at your life and to say this. It's not that I wish it was, but God is still good to me. If you can say that, wow, that's like that is that's where God wants us to be. It's not what I wish it was, but God is still good to me. So why did the young people now rejoice? Because Babylon was all they ever knew. That's it. No no foundation, no temple, no altar, nothing. Pagan worship and and idolatry all around them. They had never even seen Solomon's temple. They didn't remember its glory and they didn't even witness its destruction. All they knew about that, they had heard from their parents and their parents' parents and maybe even further down. The older generation was telling them all the great stories about how great the good old days were. Right? They were so great back then. But, they, but none of them knew it by their experience. And then I wonder if the old folks, when they said how great those days were, why? Because we have the temple, and we have the altar, and we have the priests, and we can sacrifice, and we're on our land. And I wonder if they told them, we really messed up. Really messed up. We were so wrong. We were idolatrous. We went the wrong way. Did they lament that as well? I think they did. At least I hope they did. We're not given 100% certainty on that. But I think the focus here is on they missed the good old days of having this grand temple. Maybe that's all it was, but I'm sure others thought about the fact we're here. Son, we're here in Babylon because I sinned. Your grandparents sinned. They were wrong. They got us into this, and now you're paying for this mess. But we're still God's people, and we have a hope inside of us. The prophet said in Jeremiah 25 that after 70 years, we would be free of this. You can look it up in chapter 25 of Jeremiah. And it was an amazing answer to prayer for the younger people. We've got a place to worship. This is, we were staking our claim. God gave it to us and we're back to praise God on this ground. This is His. And it's because it's His, it's ours and we give Him the glory. So when they saw this, it was the closest thing they ever saw to the previous temple. And they saw no reason to weep. It was a time to celebrate the goodness of God. Let me say this. Be careful not to be too critical of the older folks. They remembered how good things had been when they were in obedience and they had the temple and they could make sacrifices. And they recalled, I do believe this, they recalled also, the other side, a lot of them, what had been lost through disobedience. It was well that they should weep, right? It was. And even better that they should pass on the lessons learned through bitter experience after all those years earlier. And it's still true today. It's still true today. The young need the old to remind them of the past. 
and the old need the young to encourage them about the future. I'm going to say that again. The old need the young to remind them of the past. And the old need the young to remind them about the future. And as we stand back and we look at the situation in our text, there are four things as we draw to a close that we have that stand out that we've got to take to heart. They're lessons for us that if we're going to overcome disappointments in our life, we've got to take these lessons to heart. One, yield your memories and your dreams to the Lord. But I already heard that. I've heard that before. I know that. Let me remind you again, because God's Word reminds us in our text. Yield your memories and your dreams to the Lord. Was your past better and happier than your present? I'm, I'm not answering that question. That's for you. And whatever that is, yield it to the Lord. Give it up to the Lord. Was your past filled with sadness and pain? Give that to the Lord as well. Do you have great dreams and bright hopes and big plans for the future? Wonderful. Now hand them over to the Lord. Give them to God. Secondly, accept your present situation as from the Lord. God was in and behind and allowed all of this to happen. Yes, it was a result of their disobedience that they were in exile. But they're back. And when you see and you're disappointed and you're wondering how you're going to pick up the pieces and get going again, accept your situation as from the Lord. This is not a call to give up and stop fighting for what you believe in. That's not what this is. But it does mean that we accept the reality that you are where you are right now because this is where God wants you to be right now. Thirdly, resolve to obey God right where you are. Don't wait till you get home. Don't wait till three months down the road when you realize, oh yeah, you know what? Things ain't working out that well. I want to do it myself. Do it now. Resolve to obey God now. Disappointment may cause us to become bitter and bitterness may make us lethargic toward the duties of life in our service to the Lord as well. Resolve in your hearts that you will obey God right where you are with whatever's happening around you. No excuses. No delays. No hoping for better days, happier times, or more favorable circumstances. Do what God says to do. And thirdly, praise God for His goodness in spite of your circumstances. This is what the people of God did in Ezra's day. They rolled up their sleeves, they got to work, and as they worked with the fulfillment of their dreams still really far, because that temple was going to take a long time. It was still far into the future. They offered that praise to God. Give thanks to God, even though your circumstances might not be the best. You know why? As somebody said, and I don't know where I picked this quote up. I'm not taking credit. I really don't know where it came from. But somebody said that when we do that, they may be what moves you from spiritual theory to reality. Right? Praise God when your circumstances are not the best. And you'll be amazed with what happens. I'm going to ask the praise team to come forward. I'm going to sing one more song in the end. It's going to be a call to respond to what we would call the altar. This is our altar, but we have an altar here as well. We call it the altar, right? As we close, 
listen to me just for a couple minutes. Remember that God's grace is so great. It's so great that no matter how great our sin and the resultant disappointments and discouragements, there is always the possibility of a new beginning with Him. Always. Every day. The very fact that the Jews returned from Babylon proves this fact. No matter how checkered you think your past might be, the grace of God is always greater than your sin. So if you need a new beginning, turn to the Lord with all your heart because He will not turn you away. I promise you. There is something else to keep in mind. When we have been humbled by God, because of our disobedience and apathy and lack of trust. And our praise will be sweeter. You know why? Because it's going to be unmixed with sinful pride. The Jews could never say, look at us, we did it. We brought ourselves back from Babylon and now we're going to rebuild. No way. God humbled them. Yes, He punished them. And when the time came, He brought them home again. And He gave them the strength to relay the foundation of the temple. Human pride had been crushed years before that, and now God alone would get all the glory. Disappointment is a tricky emotion. It's not wrong to remember, right, the past, And it's certainly not wrong to grieve over what you lost. If our loss was caused by our own choices, then grieving just might keep us from making that same mistake again. But eventually, there comes a time when we've got to move on. It is better to begin small with God than not to begin at all. It is better to rejoice over what you have than to weep over what you used to have. So as we sing this song, when we finish, the altars are open. You can be excused, but I want those doors to remain closed. And if you leave, leave quietly and you can fellowship in the back. But make today, make today the day that you rebuild the altar of consecration to God in your life. Maybe that's where you got to start. Or maybe today is the day with the second point that you've done that, but now you need to, to relay that foundation of renewed obedience to the Lord and start taking God at His Word and doing what He says and not arguing and fighting with Him and then getting yourself back in the same situation that leads to nothing but disappointment. Or maybe today is the day that you refresh your priorities and make it your purpose to praise God for what He has given you and you have everything you need because you have God. Will you do that today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give You ourselves. Thank You for Your Word and this reminder from Ezra, Lord, that we will have disappointments and discouragements in our lives. Help us to take to a heart and to apply, Lord, 
these truths, these lessons, that we might be overcoming disappointments and discouragement regularly. They will come, but we will overcome as we trust you, as we do things your way, as we praise you, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to offer ourselves to you in a fresh and anew every day. Lord God, when everything stops, it all comes down to our heart. Our heart of worship to you, our heart of consecration, and let everything else be still, but let our heart cry out to you and be in communion with you. Father, lead us, guide us. Help us to submit and surrender because I know I need so much help with that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.